welcome to Postscript, the American Society for Pharmacy Laws podcast. My name is Henry Hine, and I'll be your host here today. The American Society for Pharmacy Law, ASPL, has an annual conference in the fall entitled Developments in Pharmacy Law. We focus with presenters, experts, speakers, providing the latest and most important developments in pharmacy law each and every year. We have over two dozen speakers presenting at the conference this year. It's in San Antonio, Texas, November 2nd through 5th. All are welcome. This year, our featured speakers is Arkansas Lieutenant Governor Leslie Rutledge. We also have Al Carter, Executive Director of the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. Attendees can receive up to 15 hours of CE in pharmacy, up to 15 hours of CE in law, and if you'd like both, you can get both, 15 hours, both pharmacy and law. Registration for the conference is available at ASPL.org. In this podcast series, we feature a few of the conference speakers with two main goals in mind. First, we'd like to give them the opportunity to enlarge upon that little paragraph that will show up in the agenda for the conference as to their background. That is to say, where are they now in their career and how did they get? Secondly, we'd like to give them an opportunity to do a little tidbit, a little lead on what they're coming to speak about, maybe get some people excited to come and listen to their presentation. Today, we're honored to have two guests. Uh, we have Jeannie and Bill. Are you guys there right now? Yes. Yes, we're here. All right. And, um, and you know, before we get to your topic, um, and I'll do ladies first, Jeannie, what, where are you in your career and how did you get there? I am now um, practicing law only, and I am um, a sole practitioner. And I am working with small businesses or small independent pharmacies. I do a lot of compliance work and um, hearings. But I'm not as broad as like Bill or some of the others. I'm kind of a commoner, so to speak. And so um, I practiced pharmacy up until two years ago, full time, and law on the side. So I'm just coming into my own with law. And what I really want to do is I want to lobby. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. So how long did you practice pharmacy? Um, I graduated in 1990. I can barely do the math anymore, but that makes it, what, 44 years? Can you believe that? Hospital and um, retail, but mainly hospital pharmacy. Very good. Very good. And so you're, you're focusing on uh, independent pharmacies and you're trying to head towards lobbying. Does that sound correct? That is correct. All right. So, Bill, let's move over to you. Um, where are you now in your career and what kind of career path? How did you get there? Well, where I am now, I'm probably late in my career. I work for a firm called Stilling and Harrison. Oddly enough, there's no coincidence that it's named after me. It's, there's two of us in the firm. Uh, my partner, Robert Harrison, is a longtime healthcare attorney, used to be a hospital administrator, very steeped in uh in the law uh, of healthcare, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of so many areas. I tend to focus on pharmacy issues because that's sort of how my practice developed. Having been a pharmacist, I was a pharmacist. I graduated in 1983. I don't think the calendars go back that far anymore. And then practiced for a while, practiced in at a local hospital for a few years, practiced in retail. Uh, then got a call to join the faculty at the College of Pharmacy at the University of Utah, where I 
administered programs and taught. And at some point, I thought I need a, a terminal degree to, um, if I was going to stay on faculty, and I thought law school would be interesting. I enjoyed the analytical form of the law and uh, did go to law school, graduated in 1992, a clerk for a judge here at the Court of Appeals, and then worked at a firm called Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer for 25 years, and uh, a, a large law firm uh, uh, in Salt Lake. Had, had 100 lawyers, I think, when I joined. I think they have over 200 now around the Intermountain West. But at, at some point, it broke off and wanted to scale down a bit. And uh, so Robert and I now practice as Stilling and Harrison. We represent virtually any kind of healthcare provider or institution in healthcare, everything from uh, rural health centers to um, large chains to independents to individuals. Uh, and so I think we can feel pretty much any question uh, that comes to us about healthcare. Wow, that's really good. It, it's always interesting to hear the uh, career paths. Uh, the two of you both uh, pharmacy first, moving into law, uh, slightly different different ways there, and uh, different experiences. And I thank you for for providing that. Um, let's see. So, what is the topic coming up to the conference? You're going to present, and what is the name of your presentation? So, the name of our presentation is semaglutide as a case study for compounding legal issues and barriers. Give us a little bit. What does that mean? Okay, so semaglutide is in the news almost, I would say, a couple times a week. It's a compound that's being used for, or it's indicated for type 2 diabetes, for control of glucose intolerance. But it's been deemed to be infect effective for weight loss. And there's this insatiable desire for Americans to lose weight. And so it's been a huge issue from a business standpoint and from the pharmaceutical um, company's standpoint as far as being able to compound this product because it has been in shortage. Now, I may have gotten off topic there. Maybe Bill can ring me back in or reel me back in as far as what his thoughts are on it. Yeah, well, semaglutide certainly has had a, it's, it's a booming business. Because of the demand, people can't get it. And, you know, a lot of people with diabetes, for example, can't get it for because there's so much demand for the weight loss. And we thought it would be useful because ASPL often has a presentation about compounding. And there are a number of legal issues that semaglutide is raised from regarding whether the raw materials being used are appropriate. There are marketing issues. There are uh, issues related to intellectual property and the manufacturer has actually filed suit against some compounders because they want to make their semiglutide seem like the manufacturer's semiglutide, the brand name manufacturer. So there's a the whole a whole host of issues related to compounding and prescribing. And semiglutide, as it stands now, provides a nice case study for that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great because you can go through the legal all those different legal issues you just mentioned. Um, is is it off label? Is, is it been proven effective for the weight loss, or is that on-label, off-label? What, what, where does that stand? So it's off-label for two of the products that are available commercially at this time, and one product, one brand-name product, I don't know that we should mention the brand name, but um, does have the indication for weight loss. 
So a lot of times with these off-label uses, they don't actually know about them until the product is being used in the public. Yes. And there's a there's a giant or broader population using the product to, you know, bring forth some of these adverse, you can call them adverse effects or or effects that weren't intended, unintended uses. Wow, that's that's amazing. So that's a lot of legal issues. Bill laid out a bunch there that can be take up a lot of time to try to show um, compounders, you know, what's going on. So that sounds like a really exciting presentation. Do you guys want to enlarge on it a little bit more or kind of that's it? You know, the tidbit, because those legal issues, you know, could take a little while to fret her out or may- maybe you just want to talk a little more about it right now. Well, I would say it's a huge business um, adventure for independent pharmacies. Um, there's a lot of money being made right now in this in this business or in this niche market. It's not going to last forever. Um, as soon as the products come off the FDA shortage list, then you have a, another host of legal arguments that will be made if the compounders are going to continue to make this product. And so that's like a second um, phase, so to speak. Sure. There's a everywhere from Hollywood to every state is addressing um, this compounding issue. And, and I feel confident saying that. Yeah. No, that, that sounds like a great topic that you guys are coming and presenting because there's so much going on with compounding and all the different details, different legal pieces. That's a great topic. It's, it's great that you guys are coming to do that. Uh, really appreciate it. Let, let me jump forward a little bit. Bill, I think you're doing a second presentation, a different uh, presentation uh, concerning a long, strange trip. What is the title of your other presentation? Well, you got it, you got it right. It's Explosion of Psychedelics, Embarking on Another Long, Strange Legal Trip. And wow. those of us who have been around long enough know what that reference is to. You know, it's a Grateful Dead song. And, uh, and my understanding is that people who went to Grateful Dead concerts were also on a long, strange trip. So are we going to have deadheads come into the program this year? Maybe uh, a new generation of deadheads. <laughs> yeah, you know, Bill, you were mentioning the calendar back in eighty, early 80s. You know, maybe the calendar's been destroyed based on your background. But I go back to the 70s for pharmacy school. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a retired old guy. But anyway, that's way off topic. So what, what, give us just a little tidbit of psychedelics, you know, long, strange trip. Well, I can't give you a, too much psychedelics because then I'd be in violation of the law. But <laughs> but fascinating is it seems like psychedelics are at a place now that marijuana was maybe 15 years ago. On one hand, uh, they've been used recreationally for many, many years. But even back in the 50s, there were clinical studies that looked at psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin, back then even the mescaline, for a variety of mental health conditions. And they show quite a bit of promise. Even Bill W., the founder of AA, thought LSD might be something that could help people overcome alcoholism. Wow. So, of course, most of that came crashing down with the Controlled Substance Act that, you know, was passed in uh, 1970, I think. And shortly after that, all the research ceased. So we've had this gap of, what, 50 years and in the last 10 or 15 years, that research is resurrected and has proven to be really, this seems remarkable in terms of what they're finding now. Wow. Wow. So I'm here in Colorado. We just passed, and you know this, um, you know, they're, they're setting up regs now to have legal 
um, is it psilocybin mushrooms, I believe. I think that's right. And yeah. And so we we kind of have this dual path in a way. It's called, sort of like marijuana, but different. Marijuana was brought into uh, legality through medical use, but then there was also the recreational component. So many states, it's legal recreationally. Yep. Wow. So, so for psilocybin now, it's like, in, in, for example, Oregon has promulgated its rules. And I think now they, they're they actually allowed to have psilocybin, uh, not only in Oregon, but you go to these facilitators. So these facilitators will help guide you through your experience. They're not necessarily mental health workers. They have to do, a, I don't know, hundred something hours of training and you can sign up and have an experience with them. And it's based largely on the research studies where you have sort of a, a meeting ahead of time to talk about issues, and then you have the experience and you sort of debrief. So in Oregon, there's this non-medical slash guided version. The research seems to indicate that, I, well, let me step back. I think there, like with marijuana, there are a couple of powerful constituencies that normally don't agree. You have one are veterans, because these drugs seem to really help uh, PTSD, particularly MDMA. And then you've also got people who are either on the left or on the right. The far right would say, well, the government doesn't shouldn't be regulating these things. And on the left, they're sort of oh, the old uh, sort of deadhead folks who uh, think that drugs should be available. And But I think because of the the therapeutic potential, especially for veterans, this has a lot of momentum. Wow, this is a great topic you're bringing here, and yeah, that that is amazing um, because it, it's going to impact. I mean, if it's starting to be out there, the pharmacists are going to have to worry about drug drug interactions, and you know, it, it's 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 it seems like it is moving forward towards early years, maybe of of uh, legalization or decriminalization or whatever you call it. It's it's showing up, and sometimes it's being used even if it's not legal or decriminalized. Wow. So how long a presentation, what slot do you have for that at the conference? I think it's one of the concurrent sessions on Saturday afternoon, but I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of like, you know, your schedule. It's like, what do I have to do today? Just show me where I need to show up. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're all good there. Well, moving along here, let me ask you guys, um, would you guys like to provide your contact information if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you for any reason? Maybe they... Um, like what they've heard and they want to get a hold of you. Um, LinkedIn, emails, uh, Jeannie, what would you like to do there? Sure. So my email address, I'm kind of old school, so I don't have a, a footprint on LinkedIn or Facebook um, for my business. So my email address is jbrennanlaw, first initial, last name, L-A-W, at gmail.com. And then they can call me or text me. All right. To call you, uh, the phone number? is 435-659-8168. Very good, very good. All right, and Bill, what about you, contact information? If they Google me, they could probably find me on LinkedIn. I don't spend a lot of time on it, though. But my email address is my name with sort of the initials of the law firm, uh, Stilling & Harrison, but it's it's B Stilling, B-S-T-I-L-L-I-N-G, at shhealthlaw.com. And the phone number, uh, the office direct line for me is 801-341-2021. All right. Really appreciate you guys coming on here today and excited to see you at the conference. And let me go ahead and thank our listeners to PostScript, uh, the American Society for Pharmacy Laws podcast, repeating our fall conference 
Developments in Pharmacy Law is November 2 through 5 in San Antonio, Texas. To see the agenda of the conference or to register for the conference, please go to ASPL.org. This is Henry Hine, your host, and we thank you for listening.